Today's word comes from uh, Matthew six nineteen through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Praise the Lord. He is alive. That's why we gather. That's why we can pray. That's why we work together. That's why we love one another because the Son of God was crucified on our behalf and rose from the dead. So we will rise in Him. Let's ask Him in prayer now that He would guide us to receive this word as His truth. Let's pray. God, we are weak. We are but dust. We only breathe by your spirit breathing through us. We only work because you have prepared beforehand works for us to do. God, we, we can only comprehend your word if you renew our minds. Do so, God, and as you do, make the beauty of Christ shine so marvelously before our eyes that we would lay all our treasures down at heaven's door to give it all up that we could receive the greater treasure of Christ himself. Amen. Research over the last couple of decades has revealed that 80% of children raised in Christian homes will turn aside from the faith of their parents within the first few years of leaving the home. That's a humbling, staggering statistic that should cause any parent to, to think deeply about what their strategy is for investing in their children. So... Molly and I have spent a lot of time discussing what our parenting methods are going to be, and we realize 80%, that's four out of five, and we have five children yet to raise into maturity. So, man, statistically, that means only one of them's going to make it. So, we've thought this through and not knowing which one's going to make it, we decided we're going to kind of downplay the spiritual aspect a little bit and, and diversify our parenting investments so at least they can enjoy a good earthly life. I see Renee's caught on. She's leaving. I do not want to hear this garbage. Yes. This is the point of such messages where you should get up and walk out. But clearly, if you know us, you know that I'm being ridiculous. That is terrible Christian parenting. The way that we overcome these threats to our children is to more fully invest heaven in them, in every single one of them, every day we are given. You can't diversify your parenting portfolio as though if heaven doesn't work out, at least they get the, a good parting gift of a nice earthly life. All of the things that we give our children in this life will be taken away. And if that's all we've given them, we have failed. We have simply led them to death. Yet, as foolish as that whole scenario sounds, 
That's the way most of us go about our lives, especially our finances. We wouldn't invest our children's lives that way, but somehow that's what we do with our own. We try to diversify our spiritual portfolios just in case God doesn't come through the way we expect. Then, well, at least I could go over here and enjoy some some spiritual gifts, or at least I can enjoy this thing. But in our text for today, Jesus wants us to understand that the greatest investment we can make with our lives, with all of our money, is in heaven. Heaven guarantees a return on investment far greater than anything this world can give us. Heaven can provide far greater than this world. Everything in this life will be destroyed and only the heavenly investments will last. And ultimately, where you put your treasure reveals where your heart is. And so our main idea today is a call to invest your heart in heavenly treasures. Invest your heart in heavenly treasure. There's two clear segments, I think, to these three short verses that we're going to explain a little bit. Verses 19 and 20 are Jesus explaining the wisest investment. He warns us to think carefully about what we do with our money. And then in verse 21, he reveals their, the heart's connection, telling us what we find valuable determines how we will live. What we find valuable determines how we will live. As I wrestled with this text this week and been thinking about this building campaign that we've been on the last few months, I've, I've really wrestled with this one question. What happens if it doesn't work? I know a few of you have thought that as well. What if I give and it doesn't work out? We've been calling you to be generous. We've been seeking other people outside the church to be generous, to support us. But what if we get a few years down the road and it all falls apart? But this really is a question about life. Not just about a building project. What what if I join a church and I give for a few years and then God leads me away sometime in the future? Did I waste that money? Should I have saved it to give to my future church? Or even more broadly, what if I've invested so much of my life in a certain career path or an education and God's leading me away from that? Was that a waste? Should I just stick with that one thing? Jesus' answer to all of those questions is, invest your heart in heavenly treasure. And when you're investing your heart in heavenly treasure, you realize that all these questions fade away because in that attitude, God is using every single thing you do to work in a way that shows He is your treasure. And making it into a heavenly investment. We're not looking for our gifts today to be reaped, the rewards to be reaped in this life, but someday in eternity. This is what Jesus is telling us in these texts. Let's look first at verses 19 to 20 and hear his guidance on wise investments. First, he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But instead, 
Don't do that, but do this. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and nor do thieves break in and steal. This this section is right in the middle of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And right this text comes right after three important warnings about giving and praying and fasting. You see, the Pharisees had become experts at these public displays of generosity. Look at me handing out money. Or these loud, boisterous, pious prayers. I'm so important. Or these fasting, they're fasting, this dramatic display of desperation. All of these things revealing that they weren't in it to show that they were trusting God, but they were looking for some gain themselves. They wanted to receive public affirmation. And Jesus warns them, it would have been far better for you just to give in secret, to pray in secret. It's kind of just a check on your heart. If you can't do this in private and see the value of it in private, then don't do it in public at all. Don't be two-faced. What are you hoping to gain in this investment in prayer and giving and fasting? For them, it was just public power and respect. But Jesus has a better investment to offer. He says, don't do that. That's laying up treasures on earth. Interestingly, they're doing apparently spiritual things, and that's investing in earth. He says, lay up your treasures in heaven. Treasures on earth are going to be destroyed and taken away, but heavenly treasures will last, abide, remain forever. Verses 19 and 20 are basically just mirror images of one another. On the one hand, don't lay up treasures on earth. On the other, lay up treasures in heaven. Moth and rust and thieves destroy and steal. Not in heaven. They remain forever. So the obvious warning is that anything in this earth, earthly realm is going to be taken away or destroyed. Building for yourself treasure on earth is just an illusion. Makes you feel just for a moment like you've got some security. But that control is fleeting. This is what... Psalm 39 verse 6 speaks of. I, I wonder if Jesus had this psalm in mind. It uses similar language. Psalm 39 verse 6, they were, he writes, Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man stores up treasure and does not know who will gather. The same words that Jesus uses are here in this text as well. He calls storing up treasure on earth, living a shadow life. You're doing all of this work for nothing. It's like you don't really even exist there. When you invest in earthly treasure, you your life could be taken from you at any moment and you don't get to enjoy it. Your treasure gets passed on to somebody else. Isn't that interesting? On earth, an inheritance passes on to someone else after you die, but heavenly treasures pass on to you after you die. 
This is just an incredible investment opportunity. You offer this one all the time, don't you, Nick, to your clients? What kind of treasure is Jesus talking about? This is incredible that you can pass on treasure to the next life. The word treasure is repeated five times in these three verses. The, the phrase lay up is actually the Greek verb for treasure. So it's literally saying treasure for yourself, treasure, treasure. Just keep saying the word over. It's emphatic. Get your treasure right. When we think of treasure, I know Titus is probably thinking of something like a box with a bunch of precious metals and jewels in it, or maybe a lost city of gold, or maybe we just think of having a big bank account. But the word treasure really means just that which is stored up. It's not really speaking of financial wealth that gives you the flexibility to buy whatever you want, but it's talking about security. Something stored up to care for me in the days to come. Jesus is warning us. Be careful where you put your hope for future happiness, future comfort, future safety, future love. Everything on earth will eventually fail you. You can't hide your treasure. You can't have a, a good enough personal identity theft protection program to Keep every single person out of it. The only way you can secure your treasure, your hope for your future, is in the promises of Christ. That is a treasure that can never be taken away from you. So how can we invest in these kinds of heavenly securities? John Calvin says, commenting on these verses, that heavenly investment is simply making it your care and business to meditate on the heavenly life. Well, that sounds really pious, doesn't it? Thanks, John. He's, he's not really talking about just thinking about heaven a lot to the point where you just, you can't even have a conversation with the person next to you. Some people say he's so heavenly minded, he's of no earthly good. That's not what he's talking about. John Calvin is telling us that everything you buy, the clothes you wear, the car you drive, the food you eat, the house you live in, all of the time you spend, all of it is meant to be done in contemplation of your heavenly treasure. To show that I have all these things, but the purpose of these things is to show you that my heart is there. And you might be able to enjoy it while you have it. Sure, that's a good thing. You can glorify God in enjoying gifts. But you would be just as happy, if not more happy, to take them and give them to someone else who doesn't have them. Because you got plenty more where that came from. Jesus also said, "What you, whatever you do to the least of these my brothers, you do unto me. And so to put it back in this heavenly investment language. He's saying, whatever you do for my heavenly people, whatever you do to, to advance my gospel purposes, you are investing in my heavenly treasure. To follow Jesus is to give everything, everything we have to his heavenly work. We can't think that it's okay just to say, well, I'll give a little of whatever extra I have after I pay all the bills. It's like dropping off at goodwill what you were going to throw away anyway, but you th- well, someone else might be able to use it and I get a tax deduction out of it. 
We, we do everything we can to take care of ourselves first and then, oh, he needs a little bit. Sorry, I got nothing. Maybe next time. No, Jesus is telling us that all of it, everything we have is for the purpose of showing others how much greater the treasure of heaven is. And so you can see that what Jesus is talking about isn't really just external. He's driving it down right into our hearts. So in verse 21, he says, for, these are important connecting words, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's making this heart connection to tell us whatever's happening in your visible life, is simply a reflection of what's hidden inside, hidden in your heart. You can't look at someone's chaotic life, someone unwise investments and say, well, at least he has a good heart. His heart was in the right place. No, Jesus says in other place, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is the same type of thing he's saying here. Whatever you do to seek safety, security, stability, prestige, control, peace. For your own life, that reveals what your heart is trusting in. How you spend your money shows what you believe about God's promises. Your heart is inevitably and intricately connected to where you invest your treasures. And you will put in effort toward what you find most valuable. You will put in the most effort toward what you find the most valuable. And now these warnings of verses 19 and 20 get really serious. Jesus isn't just reward or warning you about receiving rewards in heaven. He's warning you about actually being in heaven. It's not just your treasures that will be destroyed, but your life will be destroyed if you make the wrong investment. John Piper makes it clear. He says, if you have money and you depend on it, it will kill you. And if you don't have money and you crave it, it will kill you. Jesus will say in a couple of more verses, you cannot serve both God and money because money becomes a God. You think I got some money and I can use it to get some control over my life and bring some stability to my life. And when you think you can use money like that, it turns around instead controls you. And you start to see the world through the lens of money, whether you have it or not. So the relationships then simply become an opportunity for you to either get more or a threat that they might take what you have. Politics, you see this everywhere. Politics is just an argument over who deserves more and who we're going to take it from. Every news story is an event that might either fill your storehouses or wipe them empty. Or every purchase you make. Is just a tool to show off how wise and industrious and frugal and sophisticated you are. But if your heart treasures heaven, nothing on earth will impress you. Nothing in this life will satisfy you. Nothing in this world will make me feel secure. 
Only the promises of Christ get you excited. Only the treasures of heaven can satisfy your desires. Only the resurrection makes you feel safe. And with that perspective, then, everything you have is just something you're eager to share and get rid of. John Calvin explains again, he was really helpful in this text this week. He says, we all have a natural desire to pursue happiness. And the consequence is that false imaginations carry us away in every direction. But if we are honestly and firmly convinced that our happiness is in heaven, it would be easy for us to trample upon the world, to despise earthly blessings, and to rise toward heaven. We all want to be happy. That's good. That's how God designed us. The question is, where are we going to find our greatest happiness? Our sin-corrupted imaginations trick us into finding that happiness everywhere else but in the heavenly promises of Christ. And when we don't get them, then our sin-corrupted imaginations tell us to go find it somewhere else. To go get what you deserve. But investing your heart in heavenly treasure, it's not denying your own happiness. It's not telling you to go live a monk lifestyle. It's simply placing your happiness in everything you do in the most satisfying and enduring place. It's like the man in the parable Jesus told in Matthew thirteen forty four of the buried treasure. Eagerly, joyfully, it says, he went and sold everything. Because that's what he needed to buy a piece of land where there was a buried treasure that was far more valuable than anything he already had. Why wouldn't you? It's like, duh. David, King David had the same perspective. Psalm 27, verse 4. There's one thing David wants. He's the king of a powerful empire, but there's only one thing he wants. He says, one thing I ask of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. That's all I want. I give up everything for that. He says again in Psalm 84, better is one day in your courts, Lord, than a thousand elsewhere. That's what satisfies my heart. Paul in Philippians 1 had the same perspective. He would much rather depart, that is die, and be with Christ, for that is far better. But Jesus left him here. And so while he's here, what's he going to do? I'm going to keep making heavenly deposits. I'm going to give all my money. I'm going to give every breath, every day I have to make the gospel known and to mature the gospel in God's people. The gospel, that promise that if you forsake it all because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the son of God, the perfect man, you have heavenly treasures awaiting you. It's like the saints in Hebrews 10, 34. Jonathan and Moonen and I just marveled over this text this week. Hebrews 10, 34. The saints joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. 
they joyfully accepted the plunder of their property. Plunder, like hard word there. People came in, kicked them out, destroyed everything, took it all, and they said yes and amen. Who are these people? Why did they do that? The verse continues because they knew that they had a better possession in heaven, an abiding treasure that could never be plundered. The more you have this heart, the more you invest in heaven. And the more you invest in heaven, the more it shapes this kind of heart. So how do I get into that cycle? How do I have a heart that invests in this way in heavenly treasure? You need to see that the treasure in heaven is Jesus. You need to grow to see Jesus as infinitely more beautiful and valuable than anything this world can offer you. And in everything, you see everything simply as a tool to show off to everybody else. I don't need this. Jesus is my treasure. He has greater worth. And what better way to display his greater worth than to just give everything away? He'll take care of me. Jesus once told the rich man, a rich man to sell everything, give the money to the poor and follow him. And he couldn't do it because he couldn't see that Jesus is worth it. He might not be calling you to sell everything, but he is calling you to give everything to him and ask him, what do you want me to do with it? And his answer is, follow me, do like I did. Have the same heavenly perspective as Paul says in Philippians 2. Though he was in the form of God, had all the treasures in heaven, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why is he willing to give all of it up? In Matthew chapter 4, Satan tries to tempt Jesus to give in to all these earthly promises of treasure, satisfaction, wealth, power. But Jesus could not be convinced. It was easy for him to say no. Why? Because he had treasure in heaven. He knew it. And he secured that treasure by his death and resurrection for all of you. Who forsake it all and give your life to him. It was a costly investment, but it was a joyful investment. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And now he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. As Jake told us last week, He who is rich became poor so that in him you might become rich. It was Jesus' delight to endure the cross in order to share his treasure with you. When you deny yourself the security and comfort of your earthly treasure, trusting him to pay for your sins, trusting him to provide your daily bread, he gives you riches in heaven. And he gives you his spirit, that same spirit That dwelt in David and Paul and these Hebrews. So that you can endure the plundering for the joy set before you. You'll become a cheerful giver. 
happy to give it all away in exchange for a far better treasure and abiding possession in heaven. How much I long for that day to come. Like Paul, I love you guys, but I love Jesus more. But until then, we will fully invest, faithfully invest in giving to show our neighbors, our brothers and sisters that our treasure, our happiness, our joy is secure in heaven without any doubt that it will work out. Remember that question I asked at the beginning, what if I give and it doesn't work? And that's an honest question and one I admittedly have wrestled over myself. But as I study this text, I realize it's the wrong question to ask. It's actually revealing that my heart is not invested in heaven. Because your gift to the church, your donation to the building fund, your hospitality towards your neighbor, your generosity toward one another is not primarily about you or about them. Your goal is not for it to pay off in this life. It's primarily for the glory of God as an investment in the heavenly treasure, as placing my heart in his hands, an opportunity for him to show off his riches. Every gift, no matter where it goes, is first invested into heaven. And Jesus tells us it's a guaranteed investment. Even if it leads you into poverty today. Even if you end up at a different church someday, even if our building burns down, we can joyfully accept the plunder because our gift was not wasted. Our gift did not burn down. It is safe in the storehouses of heaven. Are our hearts there? Are we trusting in those promises? Let me just finish off with a few questions to do maybe a little Heart examination. Bring the scalpel in. I'm not a trained physician, surgeon, but I'll do my best. I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. That's a lame joke. Don't laugh at that one. Remember, our actions reveal what's hidden in our hearts. So think about your finances. What do you spend your money on? If someone were to sit down with you and go through your bank account. One, that would be extremely humbling. And two, would you be able to explain how each purchase was made with the thought of the heavenly life? Or what goes through your mind when you hear someone among us, maybe your neighbor has a financial need? Is your first impulse, I got to help him out somehow? Or is your first impulse, oh, but I might have to give up this thing to help him. We are responsible to be generous, to support and display the mission of the gospel in this community and to care for the vulnerable. Not to just give the excess, but to give first to that. Or how is your relationship with your church family? Do you prioritize one another in this life as the ones who are going to share that heavenly treasure with you? Or do you bring one another into all of your decision making as the ones who want to help you maximize your return on this spiritual investment? 
Or how about when other people invest in heaven boldly? How do you respond? Does that inspire you to want to surrender more? Or are you quick to justify, well, I mean, that's just them. I don't need to do it that way. Or even worse, do you run up to them and try to convince them that's probably wise not to live so radically committed to heaven? Randy Alcorn laments in his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, how often he sees newer believers read verses like this. And they get really excited. I want to be part of something incredible, miraculous, life-changing like that. I want to see God's Spirit work. And then some well-meaning older Christian comes along and says, Whoa, 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 hold up. Jesus didn't mean for you to take it that literally. He doesn't want you to throw everything away. It's probably not a good idea to throw yourself out there and take such a big risk. Let's not be that to one another. Let's set our eyes on the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord, and be like those Hebrew Christians who spur one another on to love and good works, who joyfully accepted the plunder of their property because of the promised eternal inheritance. Brothers and sisters, don't let anyone convince you to diversify your spiritual investment portfolio. Invest your whole heart in the heavenly treasure. God is most glorified in you when you take a risk that makes you only be satisfied in Him. One that can only be paid off in heaven because He's worth so much more than any return you can get here. Yes, Yes, investing in heaven in that way will make you more vulnerable in this life to getting burned. Plundered. Taken advantage of. And we do it joyfully. We do it for the sake of the gospel, knowing that our treasure is secure in heaven. Let me just close with a quick story from the life of John Wesley. One day when John Wesley was out traveling on his preaching tours, one of his associates comes running up to him. Sir, sir, your house is burned down. Your house, your house is burned down. And Wesley, just taken aback, said, no, no, I think you're mistaken. And he said, sir, you're, you're not listening to me. Your house, the one you live in, it burned down. And contemplating for a moment on the weightiness of this matter, Wesley responded, I do not own a house. The one I've been living in belongs to the Lord. And if it burned down, there's one less thing for me to worry about. Redemption, let us likewise place everything in his hands. In the safe and secure hands of Christ. To be used in our lives to make His heavenly promises sweeter to our hearts. To make His promises more appealing to our neighbors. And to make a more faith-inspiring generosity to your brothers and sisters. Invest your hearts fully in heavenly treasure. Invest your hearts in Christ. Let's pray. God, I only lament 
That you have had to drag me through the depths in order to see the surpassing worth of Christ. To make my heart want heaven so much more. I pray that you would save my brothers and sisters from such despair and lead them with a grand vision of your beauty that they would, even without the pain, be willing to give it all. But I do pray, God, that you would do whatever it takes to save every single person in this room from the idolatry of earthly wealth, earthly treasure, earthly safety and security. Bind us together as a band of brothers and sisters who do not give up on one another and help each other endure to that heavenly gift. And may we live in this city in such a way that they see us forsake it all, be willing to go to the death for this treasure, joyfully accepting the plundering, not of just our possessions, but of our life, that we could be welcomed in to your presence. Better is one day there than an entire lifetime here. For the glory of King Jesus, we proclaim and depend on these things. Amen.